Welcome to Life on Mars, a podcast about technology, entrepreneurship, and innovation. You will listen to stories of the best founders, inventors, experts, and celebrities from all around the galaxy. What up, everybody? I'm Alex, CEO and founder of Marspace. In this episode, we'll be talking to senior editor at TechCrunch, Alex Wilhelm, and our good friend, Josh Felberg, about Stonks. Stonks is a friendly version of stocks, right? We were talking about trading, exchange, what happened with GameStop, what happens with Elon Musk, is uh, posting stuff on Twitter and just making the valuations of companies rise or drop at the blink of an eye and more, more, more stuff. It's a really interesting podcast episode. We'll be discussing this, we'll be discussing memes, we'll be discussing economy, we'll be discussing, you know, the pros and cons of this kind of trading. And of course, this is not financial advice. And if you are willing to invest or trade, please don't take us seriously as much as you shouldn't be taking seriously anybody like Elon Musk. So uh, without further ado, let's begin with the episode. Hello, everybody. How's it going? <laughs> <laughs> this is literally the first podcast episode of Life on Mars where we start with some kind of motivational dance. How are you doing? Welcome, Alex Wilhelm, to the show. Uh, I, I'm good. I, I'm very happy to be here. And the motivational dance is just a way to like to psych up because you can't roll into a podcast and be like, excuse me, I'm actually very, very tired and I'm going to be boring for the next hour. You need to show up with some oomph, you know? And so I try to like, you know, do push-ups or... Um, I don't know, drink a lot of coffee or do something to get myself up. So I'm, I'm, I'm fully here, fully present, you know? I was hoping you as metalheads would both do some headbanging, but it might be difficult with uh, the lack of hair going on, maybe. Exactly. First of all, first of all, rude. <laughs> Two, I'm wearing headphones for this so I can hear properly. And uh, they would go <laughs> flying off my head and bounce off a wall. And I've already broken a pair of these, and they're not as cheap as I want to, them to be to, to waste them. So anyways, the headbanging can, can wait, I think. That's yeah, and actually, you need some kind of motivational dance if you're where you are, Alex. So cold and so early in the morning. So thank you for doing that. Oh, super happy to be here. Uh, someone says, "Do you want to talk about stocks and heavy metal?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'll get up for that." That's like my two favorite yeah. things. So I'm gonna give a little bit of context. Well, also before that, welcome Josh Felberg to the show. You've also been here in a couple of episodes already, so our fa audience is familiar with your L London accent. So welcome. How are you doing, mate? I'm good. Uh, really happy to be here. Um, Alex is, uh, I refer to, obviously, um, Alex uh, Barcelona. Alex, my best friend here in Barcelona and Catalonia. But the other Alex, um, in my mind, he's always, it's quite funny. I've actually, when you were on the invite, I looked you up and I was like, oh, you're the original Alex, like, because you're at Alex. And I followed you for years and like, obviously from tech, but then also random stuff about Metallica. Um, we tweeted each other a few times. So I was like, Yes, this is actually the real Alex. I'm slightly starstruck, genuinely. Well, the uh, the Twitter <laughs> name is uh, something I bought off a guy in Mexico in 2009, I think it was. So I'm not actually the original Alex, but I found him, and I was like, "Hey, man, I gotta have that at." And this was back in the day when, like, you know, friend feed was competing with Twitter, and no one knew if, if you know Facebook was going to be that big. So it was a different era of of tech. Um, ended up being a good decision by me, and a bad one for him, sadly. So shout out to the other Alex in Mexico who sold it to me. 
Yeah, yeah. origin like it's kind of like the, the same the same story I've got at Startup Brain. I'm Alex at Startup Brain. Originally, it belonged to the guy running it in, in Cyprus, but he was not using it or he just quit. And I was like, I want this. So the, the right. CTO of Startup Brain name is Alex, but I get his emails just because I'm Alex at Startup Brain. So shout out to to him as well, Alex. There are four things I want I want to point out. Um, the reasons of you being here. First, you know, I started following you because of your, uh, because you've been tweeting and you've been blogging, you've been communicating about SaaS, you've been communicating about all the technology, innovation, and startups, and whatever. Uh, you've been yeah. associated to TechCrunch. You run your your own podcast. Second is you tweet lately a lot about stonks. Third, you know, it's the Alex Handel. Fourth is you got really good musical taste. And fifth is, I don't know how, but you managed to communicate all of this without ever using punctuation marks. How do you do it? Well, now I should start using punctuation marks, apparently. I didn't realize I was so poor at that. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I like Twitter. I fundamentally enjoy the service, and I try to use it as my own little world. And I don't want to become too professional. I don't want to become too personal. I like to try to be kind of like whoever I am at that moment. If I'm at work, I'm talking about work things. If it's after work, I'm, you know, taking pictures of my dogs, uh, whatever it is. Uh, I try to be, I try to have fun, you know? And so, uh, you know, sure, I can work on the, gr the grammar and add a couple of periods and commas, apparently. I will work on that, Alex, I promise. Uh, but mostly I'm just trying to have fun. And, <laughs> not you know, for me, I, not for me, not for me. That's great. <laughs> well, maybe for my editors, maybe they, they would appreciate it. Uh, no, but I mean, I've been a fan of, um, of heavy music forever. And uh, SaaS has been important in the startup world. So for me, that's that's work and also a personal interest. And uh, the stock market is something that I've been um, fascinated by since I was, oh man, I mean, I bought my first stocks and I was like, you know, I don't know, 15, 14, somewhere in there. So Tell us more ago. about that. Tell us more where you got into them and why. Gosh, okay. So I'm a long been a fan of business as a general concept. I was a, I was a dorky kid. I um, started reading the Wall Street Journal in print in middle school because I wanted to track stocks. And um, I was fascinated by the idea of buying small pieces of companies. You know, I mean, what you're actually doing in the stock market is buying ownership in these companies that you, you read about and you talk about and you think about. And so my first stocks that I bought were some shares of Cray Supercomputer. And uh, there was no Robin Hood back then. So I paid like an $8 commission to, I don't know, E-Trade or something. And uh, so I, I was down like 40% on the trade from fees before I started. But I wanted to buy a couple of shares of a company. And so I woke up really early one morning uh, on the west coast of the US where I'm from, uh, which is three hours behind the stock market, really. And uh, I bought some shares and they immediately went down in value. So that's my first lesson in uh, why you shouldn't buy individual shares. Um, what went wrong in your life to start investing when you were 15? <laughs> what happened um, there? I mean, many things. I, I, I've, uh, I've always been a, I, I don't know, I'm kind of an introvert extrovert. I like to do extroverted stuff, but I, I like to also to read mostly. Um, so read for help. me, it was just, well, if, if you're seeing yeah. the video of this, you're seeing my, uh, one of my bookshelves. Um, yeah. It's, but it's my wife's books too. It's not just mine, to be clear. Uh, I don't know. I just, business is fascinating. And for me, it went like a business interest. And then I discovered this niche in business called startups. And I was like, oh, this is like business, but crazier. And that was what kind of brought me into the world of caring about uh, tech companies and especially startups, just because it was all the things about business amplified and made more extreme. Um, Alex, I wanted to um, jump in. He started at 14. So my dad, a uh, very long story short, he started doing this um, 
when I was pretty young, I remember having, he had a green screen computer that was known as an Amstrad at the time. I don't know if they ever reached the US. I think it was a UK, it was a UK company. Uh, he, he was old school. So I sort of grew around it, but um, I didn't get into it till a lot later. And it took me quite a while to actually even understand what uh, owning a stock specifically was and the concept of this. You know, if you own a bit of a company and, you know, us three set up a, co- a heavy metal company or whatever, selling amps or whatever like you know we own a third each or whatever and you divide a profit so we put them back into business but um i was wondering if you might be able to almost explain like an idiot sort of summary like what does it actually mean when you own a piece of tesla for example and also when you know when they say the valuation is x billion and oh and overnight elon musk is the is the world's richest man and you know for his faults i do sort we'll of get yeah, actually, right? it's not totally true. And actually, the next day he dropped ten percent, and by that basis, Jeff Bezos is is worth a lot more. So right. I was wondering if you could maybe explain it. And I I understand it, but um, I probably wouldn't be able to explain it as well as you can. So I'd be I'd be interested to sort of get your take on that, and and also just how wrong the media like portrays this kind of are oh, this person's worth X because his company's now gone up to Y value. Yeah, um, it's just like such bad finance journalism, in my opinion. So uh, stocks are little bits of a company. Imagine take a company, cut it into a million small pieces, and then you uh, different people own them. Usually, people are paid at the company. Part of their compensation is stock. The CEO will hold a reasonable portion of it. But the coolest thing about market economies and trading is that you know you, the individual person, can own shares in pretty much any company you want that's publicly traded. And so what you can do is you can go out and buy slices of companies that you respect, companies you think that are strong, that have a good position on the world and the market, and um, own them for both appreciation and income. Some companies uh, put some of their profits out through their equity, their shares, and you'll get paid uh, a dividend for owning that little bit of the company. Uh, traditionally, slower-growing companies pay more dividends than quickly-growing companies. Um, tech companies generally don't pay dividends if they're on the smaller side, sticking to kind of our general tech-ish theme. Um, because they're putting that money back into the business to grow more quickly. Uh, and what's fun is you can do this in a couple different ways. You can buy a broad index of all the shares out there to have kind of a, a look at the whole market. You can buy just three companies you really like. You can go crazy, go hashtag YOLO and dump all your stuff into one failing game company. Uh, there's many options of how to do this, many different approaches. People have made uh, vast fortunes doing this. Um, but one of the best ways to get rich, to, to Josh's point, is to be the CEO of a company and to own a vast amount of its stock. And, and one good example of this is Elon Musk, who owns quite a lot of Tesla, and uh, of course, Jeff Bezos, who owns quite a lot of Amazon. And what happens is, because we know how many shares they own, because it's public information, they have to disclose this here occasionally, uh, we can do some math. We can look at Jeff Bezos owns 88 quadrillion shares of Amazon at $47 bazillion per share and come up with his net worth. Um, and this becomes a game. It's not a game that I, I, I like to cover, Josh, because I don't want to walk around talking about how rich two dudes are because it's Alex, gossip, can, right? Just uh, wait, Alex, can we, can, can we swear? Is that, uh, I forget the rules. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Actually, okay, actually it's, okay. it's mandatory to swear. It's, the, ma- it's mandatory. Podcast. Okay, good. good. Yeah. And, um, be rude to, and be read to us and vice versa. It's sort of part of the thing. Yeah. Well, I have to dislike you because you have a better accent, Josh, and you have better hair. And uh, Alex has a better <laughs> beard than I do. So essentially, I'm just I'm at a disadvantage this entire podcast. Uh, no, but um, I don't want to cover. We don't, have, we don't know about stocks and we lose money, so you're definitely winning in in all in every sense of the words. And you've got the radio voice. You've got the best voice we've had on this podcast so far. 
this is my sleepy morning voice. It, it, oh, go, it gets it gets higher as I wake up. So by the end of the show, I'll sound much more normal. Um, uh, but Josh, to your point about you know who is the richest and how fast it changes, I don't want to cover that me personally because fuck them. I don't care if Jeff Bezos is slightly richer than Elon Musk. I, I just don't. Why would I care? Like it, it, it. But here's the thing: readers care, and fundamentally, that type of story with recognizable business names in the headline and news that is very fresh is something that people really want to read, and. Um, publications in general are at least slightly responsive to audience responses to stories. You know, if you cover something and no one reads it and you keep covering it, eventually you're going to stop. And if you cover something that's relatively easy to write and a, a eruption of traffic and interest and social shares comes in, you're probably going to push that button again, you know, because publications respond to, to market forces too. And so those types of stories, Elon Musk stories, I mean, they're like Apple stories five years ago that people just can't help but click on them. And so you're going to see a lot of that until interest goes away. So I agree with you. I think it's I think it's stupid to think about the market that way. It's short sighted and a little bit boring. But uh, we're in the minority. You know, we're just not the normal person there. So um, I wanted to ask about about owning a company. You said about owning companies. Um, I think you use the word respect or sort of understand. I can't remember the exact words. So. Alex and I started uh, messing around with this not too long ago. Um, I exited a startup uh, for a couple of years ago. I sold my shares, didn't make like a huge amount of money. It was enough to do up my flat, which I which I have here, um, which looks nice and unique. You can see a blackboard. The kitchen is actually quite nice. Yeah, it's uh, lovely. It quite a bit of money. Um, but I had some money left over and I was sort of working out, well, what do I do? Like, do you say I want to buy another property? And I was like, actually, I don't really like own property. I don't like it. I don't really agree with the idea. So Alex and I were speaking, but long story short, I started and the, one of the first stocks I bought was Zoom because I was using it. And I bought Zoom because I thought, well, I'm going to buy stuff I think is good. And I'd worked on Microsoft and stuff in corporate. I was like, this is rubbish. And I just bought it because I liked it. And, and obviously, Zoom has gone like that through right. the pandemic. And then Alex and I need <laughs> to talk through it and we bought other things, um, some better or worse. Um, but I was wondering, um, Alex, I'd like Alex, I think it'd be an interesting um, uh, sort of uh, move into what we'll then talk about. Because uh, first I'd like to ask you, what, have you ever bought like a stock that you just wasn't really nothing? It was just a company you like and has done well. And then I think Alex has probably the best example of, of, of this and a very timely one. And it beats my Zoom one, by the way. And it's hilarious. Okay. So I think uh, this Alex will go first and then that Alex you will go first, second. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got yeah. it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. Uh, between the fact that we only have two names for three people, which makes it for a very interesting podcast. Um, so <laughs> the, the Josh, I hate to disappoint you, but the answer is not really. Uh, because of journalism rules, all my money is in index funds because I, I don't own individual shares in companies to avoid having um, conflict of interest. Yeah. Well, I mean, or just the appearance of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like yeah. I, I don't yeah. even buy stock in like, uh, you know, a company that's totally unrelated. It's all in just broad, boring stuff, um, which yeah. to be clear is like safe and lovely and cheap and all that. But like, it's a little boring, but it's the rule. But I will say, that this has saved me from many dumb decisions. So I have, you know, I've looked at some companies and thought, this is the one. And then they've done poorly. So I've really kind of been been saved by my own uh, my own rules, if you will. But Alex, I'm curious, what 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 did you have that's better than Zoom? Because I, I've used Zoom also for for years. I, I had a dinner with the CEO one time at a VC's house in San Francisco, a lovely guy. So I've known about them for a while, and I've been 
blown away by, by their rise from enterprise B2B to, you know, consumer phenom. What tops that? What, what's better than that? This is really top it, but it's pretty – I bought it out of sheer, you know, randomness and I bought GameStop in August. Um, oh my gosh. Every month, <laughs> yeah. every month, every month, I buy a random stock because I only invest in, in, in SaaS and tech, right? And sure. I said, I'm going to buy one of them that's outside this realm. And it was GameStop. And then the next month, it was a tractor's company. It was John Deere, right? And things like that. So GameStop. But so I bought it at the lowest and I sold it at the maximum, historical maximum, not the peak that they have artificially created. So I made money. I didn't make as much money. As I could oh, so you sold before at 60. F- I sold at 60. Hey, you know what? You yeah. still made 30x on that money. That's not bad. You made more than that. How much do you think? No, you no, 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 because I bought at 11 and then I sold at 60. Oh, okay. So 5x. Um, I, that, that's not bad. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you look at the, the historic, it's like a really good move. If you look at what happened the week after, I was like, Fuck! <laughs> you know this is why this is why stock trading breaks my heart because that I, I I would so regret the theoretically lost and missed money. Um, at least no, with index I, funds, I know I'm going to have very average returns forever, and that reduces my my internal guilt and fear. Correct, Alex. I wanted to circle back to one thing that you've mentioned mm-hmm. before is that the I didn't want to get into this because it was not part of the you know the the outline of the things I wanted to cover today but you raised a really good point which is the the role of media and journalism here right that these kind of new myths that they are not created but they are they are more like highlighted and strengthened through the through the you know through the power of um media covering these kind of things they just sort of feed the flames of this, you know, the GameStop, GameStop thingy, or uh, now Elon Musk with DoggyCoin and things like that, right? Just by amplifying it, uh, maybe you make it worse, right? So how do you how do you position yourself? Because I know you're pretty, you know, you're pretty conservative. To use. You, you said I'm not part of the clickbait scene. I'm not doing this. I'm not appeasing the people just with easy journalism. And how do you survive? Well, well, I'm not. I'm not above a cheap hit occasionally. Like, I'm not. I'm not trying to claim that I'm some sort of saint. Um, I, I try to always write stuff that's useful to people or that makes a sarcastic point. So sometimes I'll I'll write a post that's much more um, aggressive or rude than my usual stuff, just to kind of push back on something. Um, but a couple of things. One, the media has been dying forever. Like the media has been in pretty rough shape for for so long. I'm not going to begrudge a dying man. Uh, a shot at some health. So like, I don't want to be overly negative on, on the media scene. I disagree with some publications and I disagree with some ideas and especially in the American media, there are some pretty awful actors out there. And, and you know, I mean, Josh, by your accent, you're familiar with the UK press uh, and you know that some of the, the issues that go on there uh, with privacy. Yeah, we win and losing. Um, you know, the British tabloid press is a, is a, I don't, it shouldn't be called media. It genuinely shouldn't. I mean, it, it's, it's basically like, it's the sort of like stuff you get on the US bookshelves. What's the, I forget what it's called. Uh, like Basically, the National Enquirer type. Yeah, that stuff. But like that's our national narrative now. Yeah. So there, there's issues <laughs> in the world of media. But at the same time, you know, this is not a time when media has a lot of resources with which to operate. And the world's never been bigger, more complicated, faster. And also at the same time, corporations have never spent as much money on PR, comms, internal publications, and so forth. So we're at a, a historic imbalance in things. It's just something to keep in mind. Um, but I try to not artificially uh, inflate dumb shit. 
if that makes sense. Like, I don't want to use my platform to talk about just what's going on on Reddit for the sake of it. But in the case of Wall Street Bets, you know, I've been a reader of WSB for, I think, over a year at this point um, because I'm interested in the stock market and trades and I've covered fintech and Robinhood and all that. So I've known about it for a while. Uh, and I didn't write about it because it didn't seem to be newsy. But then when they started to have a real impact on the stock market to really actually change things, it went from interest to to news item. But you're right, that does create a circular effect of now I'm covering it. Now more people are hearing about it. Now they're showing up and doing more stuff. So you have to be careful with that. It's not a lot of power, but it's a little bit. And you need to, you know, think about it. Yeah. And how do you manage the frustration of knowing that the vast majority of people, they just want to read the easy stuff, the clickbaity stuff, and that the corporations are paying to you to not you as in like TechCrunch and whatever would be the outlets yeah. to whitewash them and just you know kind of like feedback this entire vicious circle well TechCrunch doesn't make me do that to be clear like yeah. one of the greatest parts about about tc and the reason why i came back to this publication after a couple of years away is the is the freedom to make decisions on my own to decide That's what it. is worth covering and what is what is what is good and because the publication historically doesn't make all of its money off advertising uh we have had uh, a large events business in the states and also internationally we now have a paid part of it so we have different revenue streams that keep us pretty healthy and so i don't uh, i'm not judged on my page views that's not the metric that i'm that i'm really held accountable to now to be clear i want people to read my stuff you know, yeah. like, I mean, I because to good. be clear, it's be, it's better to have readers than not. Like, but no, yeah. I'm not. There's no one calling me up and saying, Alex, you only had X number of page views last week. We need to double that. So I I don't live in that world. It's a luxury uh, and, a, and a privilege, um, but it's also why I wanted to come back to TC. So, so um, um, I wanted to, to ask uh, about what you write because I think that generally, sort of quality journalism, and you know, I've been reading your stuff for for, for years. As I said, you're the, you're the original Alex, right? You know, people like yourself and Mike Butcher have always sort of uh, my, they're your, my, you're my go-tos on tech, right? Um, but not, I mean, I don't, I don't know to what extent tech crunch is effectively by ad tech, but sort of more widely. So I, I've worked in advertising before, and now I'm actually working on climate change issues. And, and one of the things that's come up is that um, not just climate change, but if you just have like a BLM or even the words, for example, Manchester, after the terrorist attacks in the UK, a lot of ad tech companies would go to corporations and essentially say, we provide a brand safety so your adverts won't appear next to controversial articles. What that has meant is that anything we're mentioning climate, anything mentioning BLM or anything mentioning Manchester even to a certain extent, and, and lots of other things as well, that they weren't getting uh, adverts, which basically meant that content wasn't getting money. So you ended up getting really trashy adverts on those, which didn't really give those uh, articles or, or that platform or the website much money. And then, um, yeah, so then you basically encourage more and more trash because you get the eyeballs and the money. So I was wondering um, if it, sort of if you had any thoughts on that and like, you know, it's the, I find the ad tech in ad tech pretty broken actually, and I was wondering um, if you've had any thoughts of it because it's sort of something that's come to light. For, for me, certainly, it's not. I'm still trying to learn about it and work it all out. But I know in in journalism, it, it's a bit of an issue. It seems. Yeah. So first of all, just shout out Shoshana Wodinski over at Gizmodo. Uh, she's a reporter there, and she covers the ad tech market, and she actually gets it. Like she gets the the how it all plugs together and works, and how all the 
different parties and tubes and all that stuff. I, I go, I get it at a surface level. Like I, I don't go deep on ad tech because it's an entire job just to understand how this stuff works between the exchanges, the auctions, uh, the stuff that you're mentioning, Josh. I mean, it's an incredibly large world and it sucks. It doesn't care about privacy. It doesn't pay particularly well. There's too many middle parties. It's just kind of broken, like you said. Um, but luckily for me, uh, TC does a lot of direct sales. So we control more of our inventory than a lot of other publications do just because our audience and who reads us lets us do that. And that provides stability and, uh, and, and, um, the ability to avoid some ads that are trash. To be clear, though, we have to do some of our own self-policing internally. Like if we see an ad on TC that's spammy or bad, we talk about it and work on it immediately as a team to, to get that off of our site. Um, but the issue you bring up in particular, Josh, about you know advertisers being, quote, protected from controversial stories like climate change, to me, it's, it's asinine. And it's, it's kind of a way to suffocate very important forms of journalism. Uh, how much more journalism would we have focused on the climate if it monetized at the same level as, uh, you know, something that's less important? Uh, maybe more. Uh, maybe that would be a way to encourage the issues and topics that you care about. Uh, because, you know, no offense to the planet or anything, but it's not looking so great lately. Um, so I, I would love to read more stuff about that. But if you kill the economics behind it and you can't find a billionaire willing to cut you a check every couple of months, what are you going to do? You can't do it for free. So it does bother me. But uh, I think I think the biggest change in the world of media has been this move to subscriptions, which I'm sure you guys are both very tired of, you know, clicking around the internet and always being told to give people money. Uh, but it's just because ads were so poor and that experiment, you know, if the early internet failed to, to, to monetize at a level that worked, um, we have to go around asking for quarters and nickels and dollars uh, to keep things going. And so far, TechCrunch has paid experiments going pretty well. Uh, I'm, I'm really grateful for that. We work on it really hard, but, um, you know, if that wasn't the case, we'd have to do something else. And I don't know what that would have been, frankly. So it, it, it's not, it's not a great time to be in media financially, but it's also a great time to be in media because the world is so interesting lately. There's just so much going on. So yeah, just, um, on, on the note. So the reason I know about this stuff is a bit, is a, um, a woman called Nandini Shami. I don't know how to pronounce her surname, but she co-founded sleeping giants, which, uh, is another organization. So um, we're hoping to get her on here next. So uh, we'll, shout out we'll Sleeping Giants. Uh, sorry? Shout out Sleeping Giants. Yeah, I'm familiar with them. Yeah, awesome. So, so, so yeah, so we're hoping to, to uh, sort of get them in. But I thought I'd mention her because that's basically how I know about this stuff. The yeah. little I know and probably explained badly. But yeah. No, no, I, I hear you. And I just want to throw out one thing. Like, you know, hate, hate, the, uh, hate the game, not the player. And so when it comes to like the world of media, like no reporter wants to write, <clears throat> sorry, no reporter wants to write bullshit clickbait. Like no one wants to, no one went into the, the world of media and said, I'm going to work a lot for not that much money to write crap articles. Like everyone wants to do serious reporting. There's just not that many of those jobs. And so a lot of people end up stuck in crappier media jobs and where they don't have a say in their headlines. And they don't have a say in what they put out and they're just trying to pay rent, you know? So like, let's, let's, let's hate the systems that lead to, to that as opposed to like the individual people who are just stuck in the hamster wheel trying to, you know, trying to keep, you know, solvent, frankly. Okay. Then let's talk about the system because that's where I <laughs> wanted to go. Big part of the, big part of the, of the show, big part of the episode. I wanted to cover the, the phenomenon that, that's been happening between, you know, well, the last few weeks, actually. I mean, in my mind, it's still August because that's when I bought GameStop, but Wall Street bets has been there forever. It's been operating yeah. for many, many years, right? But they have sort of like, 
you know, taken this moment in time to to take on the freaking hedge funds, right? And I wanted to, I want, I wanted your vision on that. Why it made to the to the to the mainstream? Why do you think they chose this right particular moment to kind of like take on this? Do you know the giants that sort of manipulate the market at their will? Just to jump in there, Alex. I'd say other Alex, uh, the yeah. original Alex. Maybe if you, if you sort of go for, from the very beginning of what of of the story, because I think Alex, other Alex and I are probably a bit too nerdy, and we maybe sort of forget that uh, other people might know might not understand what we're actually talking about. Yeah, um, yeah, happy to. So, so Wall Street bets. Actually, hold on. Morning. Sorry. Um, morning. Good morning. Yeah. That's what I sound like. This is, this is me. I woke up like 45 minutes ago, fed the dogs, made coffee, sat down and here we are. Um, so I will occasionally clear my throat and sorry about that. But Wall Street Bets is a subreddit, which is a, a subsection of the Reddit website. It is a community. And, uh, really for the longest time, it was a rude place to go to talk about how you were making ridiculous bets on the stock market. Now, this comes in the form usually of options trading, um, betting where share prices will be at certain times in the future, essentially for outsized returns or outsized losses. And it was kind of a place where people were mean to each other and they posted what was called loss porn. Uh, which is like, oh no, I did this trade. I lost 99% of my money. And everyone would be like, you're an idiot and, or worse things. And it was this in joke amongst people who were trying to turn a little bit of money into a lot of money about their wins and losses. And this was a, a, a niche place. It was a place where people like, like I went to, to read about pe- what people were doing in the stock market to stay abreast of that world, but it wasn't a place that CNN was showing up and covering. The BBC wasn't calling up, you know, the moderators of Wall Street Bets because it didn't matter. It was just individuals doing things. Then came GameStop. And what happened was one individual poster on GameStop realized that there was this company, sorry, on Wall Street Bets, realized that there was this company called GameStop that was overly shorted. There were too many bets against the shares doing well that didn't make sense. So what they were going to do was buy the stock and push it up. And there's mechanics about short squeezes and gamma squeezes and all this. But the, the thing you need to know is if these individual traders could keep pushing the share price of this company up, it made the people who had made bets against it, the rich people, the hedge funds, increasingly in pain and at, at, at greater and greater losses. So there's, there's two stories here that have kind of gotten conflated. One is individual traders at Wall Street Bets just wanting to make money because greed is very human and I respect that. And the other one is this David versus Goliath, you know, individual traders versus hedge fund thing, which was half true, uh, half true because yeah. hedge funds were also on the other side of the bet. So, you know, hedge funds made a lot of money on GameStop going up. Some hedge funds lost a lot of money on GameStop going down. Uh, It's been it's been a mess. But what happened was traders came together on Wall Street Bets, on Robinhood, and they began to essentially change the market. And that was a news item that became a big damn deal. And one of the things that have been most infuriating about, you know, the whole issue is that, um, you know, uh, GameStop, GameStop. Kind of like search, and we had a we had a you know an increase, an incredible increase on in the uh, on the price. Then you know this it was Melvin Capital and a couple other companies that were essentially hedge funds who lost a lot of money there. And then we came to the you know to the blocking of trading on certain platforms that basically oh, yeah. allowed the greater public 
the greater audience like Robinhood and Revolut um, to trade. But they, they, they blocked these stocks because they were just not, they were being manipulated. Guess what? That's what hedge funds are doing as well, right? And I wanted to, without being so populist, because it sounds a little bit populist when, it, when I put it like that, but aren't like when, you know, when certain press releases are, are coming with like, you know, um, Goldman Sachs did a, a certain, you know, a certain action on a certain commentary on blockchain, uh, sorry, on Bitcoin a few, uh, a few years ago before dropping the price and then buying a lot of them. So aren't they manipulating the market too? So it's, to me, it kind of like sounds like, you know, poor people should, should invest their money because they don't know any better. And when they do, now it's like, oh, not like that, right? So is the yeah. game rigged? So what, what, well, first of all, if you're an individual trader, the game is rigged because you don't yeah. have the same information. You can't execute trades at the same speed. You're going to get a front run. And it's hard to make money as an individual investor if you're making quick trades. I mean, day trading is a, is a famously hard thing to succeed at. I, I don't know a lot of people who have. Um, it's not too hard to make money off a single stock like Josh did with his, his startup shares because, you know, if you work at a company, you get equity in them. I own shares in Crunchbase, a startup, uh, because I worked there for two and a half years. Let's hope, you know, it goes public or Salesforce buys it. That'd be great. Uh, yeah. But, you know, the reason why people invest in index funds is to avoid having to make decisions like this. Anyways, uh, on the fraud thing, Robinhood did not handle the PR during the crisis week very well. I think we all agree on that. Not really. Because what they didn't want to say, it appears, is that they were undercapitalized. And when their partner clearinghouse firm demanded more capital to cover the risky bets that their you know users were making, uh, they didn't have it. And so they had to negotiate, get more capital from their investors, and also decided to reduce trading in certain equities like GameStop and AMC and some of the kind of meme stocks to um, yeah. have a risk profile that made sense for the capital they had. So it wasn't it wasn't you know hedge funds and Goldman Sachs out there conspiring to to turn off you know regular folks' ability to trade. It was Robinhood not being properly capitalized for the risk they were taking on. Um, it was a startup mistake. The downside with Robinhood is that they're not really a startup anymore. I mean, guys, they've raised you know billions of dollars. They're worth tens of billions of dollars. They have millions of customers. They do hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue every every quarter. They're a big ass company. You Correct. know, how, how do they not have enough capital? How were they surprised by, by essentially what was a capital call for their, I for mean, their trading volume? As these Revolut, right? Because they had essentially the same problem. I don't know if they were yeah. undercapitalized, but they also blocked certain stocks from being traded. I mean, a lot of folks did. Apex did as well, which under, underpinned a lot of, um, of uh, other U.S. trading services. And then also uh, Free Trade in the U.K. had a similar issue, I think, with their trading partners. And so I think a lot of people were surprised by this because they weren't doing – uh, maybe full diligence on how the trading world worked. And it was cool to build on top of, uh, you know, someone else's, you know, market making and clearinghouse efforts. But I mean, there, there's more to it than that. And I think, uh, I think, I hope we'll see more maturity from these, these trading companies down the road. Um, but Robinhood was about to go public, I think, before all this. Yeah. Whoops. Correct. Yeah. What's the, what's the, then what's the future like? Do you think there's, we've come to a tipping point? in which the markets need to have a certain, like a different regulation from what they had up until now, just because technology is allowing us to operate differently than 200 years ago, or I don't know how many hundreds of years we've been trading, right? So. Yeah. There's a lot of talk about that in, uh, in my government, uh, a lot of discussion about what we should do about this. And, you know, maybe nothing is the answer. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know what we can do. Can you stop people from talking about stocks? No. Can you stop people from sharing ideas? No. 
Can you stop people? As long as you're not lying, you're allowed to talk about stocks. And the guy behind the GameStop short squeeze wasn't lying. He was just sharing what he was doing. He was talking about his activities. That's perfectly acceptable. You know, Goldman Sachs makes calls on stocks all the time. Analysts make predictions on share prices and expectations and so forth. Uh, you're allowed to, to talk about the stuff in public. And while the public masses have access to zero cost trading, and you can talk about stuff on social media forums and discords and all sorts of different things, how do you shut them down? How do you stop so them? I wanted, say, I wanted to ask actually around that. Um, and, and just by the way, so, so Robin Hood is because uh, for most people outside the US, they may not, they might know it now. But if they don't, it's correct me if I'm wrong. It's basically an app that lets you trade. Uh, they what they call retail traders. So, so normal folk that they can basically trade easily. They've been criticised for gamifying and encouraging day trading, but that's that's a sort of different different topic. But um, I want to tell. So you talked about sort of the government. So you had this weird situation where Alexandra Ocasio Cortez, AOC, and Ted Cruz, extremes of the political left and right in the US, basically both agreeing there should be a, a hearing into this. The CEO of Robinhood is now apparently going to have to testify in Congress. Um, wh- what's that about, um, and what, what's going to come of it? Is this just basically something that's going to happen? Nothing will come of it. Um, as you said, maybe you don't need to change anything. So, so what, what is this all about? Uh, because I think um, I was following, I'm a bit lost, so I'm probably sure some other people are too. Yeah. Uh, as kind of a political context, AOC is on the American far left, which would make her kind of center left in Europe. Uh, and Correct, then yeah. <laughs> Ted Cruz is far right in America, which would make him fascist in Europe. So just, uh, you know. Yeah, he would basically probably be ostracized pretty much by now. And like, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so like and the, the American political window is like two steps to the right. <laughs> and so Always, like yeah. our left feels uh, very left for America, but her, her crazy ideas are like universal healthcare, which, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, it's standard everywhere else in the, in the world. Welcome to America. Uh, what's going on? So Josh, uh, I, my guess is political theater. I, I bet what they're going to do is, is drag the CEO of Robin Hood to Congress, put that nerd in a suit, make him do his hair and shave sit him down at a table and then grill the hell out of him for a couple of hours and, and try to pin more blame on him than is probably reasonable. He's a player in a system that allows for all this sort of stuff. Here's an example. Payment for order flow. Banned in the UK. Payment for order flow. Super legal in the US. That's Robinhood's entire business model effectively. So, you know, we've built a system here in the States that allows for Robinhood to exist as it does, which is fine. He's playing by the rules. No beef with that. But you can't look at him and go, oh, you followed the rules and did things that we said you could. How dare you? You know? And so if they want to actually change the way things go, they could, they could. Uh, but good luck getting to a bipartisan, uh, two party consensus, you know, here in the States about, uh, the underlying financial world right now, because our, our politics over here are pretty broken. And so I bet it's just going to be theater. It's going to be fun. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch the hell out of that. That's going to be great. I'm going to have lunch and just watch that guy sweat because fuck him. He's a billionaire. I don't care. Um, but, uh, <laughs> it's going to be, I think just political theater. Nothing will come of it. So, so shout out Vlad. Good luck. Uh, I hope you, hope you're well prepared and, uh, we'll all be watching. Yeah. I think, you know, every politician wants to take some credit in, in having like a good opinion of this and just, you know, basically, basically it, they, be seen. And yeah, they want to be seen on the side of the common person. They, you know, every politician wants to be born in a log cabin. They built themselves as the old saying goes. And so, you know, when there's a chance to say, oh, the, the other people are taking your money. It's not fair. You, the common person. Every politician wants to have that kind of mantle 
And uh, so I'm not surprised to see different facets of the American political spectrum. And I presume, you know, in the EU as well, and also, you know, the exiles over there in Scotland and uh, and Britain or England. Um, I think everyone's going to be kind of worried about this because I, th- I disruption of financial markets that benefit the wealthy and the connected is never going to be entirely popular with those two groups, you know? No, I, th- you know, I think what, one of the things, so like to my previous point, and I think that's going to be interesting, uh, interesting to see how markets behave right now. It's not that I think that, you know, individual investors like you and I can have a, an influence on the market. Of course not. But there are two different players that have just joined in the last five to 10 years that prior to this had never existed because back then, who the fuck knew how to invest in stonks, who had the technology and who had the money and, and all that, right? But now we've got two new players. One is big masses of really small individual players who, thanks to social media, they can coordinate big actions and they can have an influence on the market. And second, you've got fucking idiots like Elon Musk just tweeting like something stupid and influencing the market big time. Right? What is and he doing? Inf- what is he? He's gotten in trouble with regulators here in the states repeatedly for his Twitter account. He's putting. I mean, he's just. Is he? You is know. he delight? Is delightfully trolling us, Alex? Well, what the? Oh, look, I think okay. so. I think if he so. was, if well, I was, if I was a billionaire, right? Yeah, but if, if I was a billionaire, you wouldn't see me on Twitter. You wouldn't see me at all. I would be gone. I would be awash on my yacht that would be entitled the USS Whiskey. And I would turn off my cell phone for life and I would just float around drinking on the high seas. Why do billionaires tweet? What? You've no. won the game. Leave. But, but there's know? a like, difference. There's a difference between several of them. I'm like, most of them, they don't tweet. The yeah, thing true. about Elon Musk is the only one that I think they want. he wants to, to be cool to the masses, to people on the internet. And that's why he's, you know, smoking joints on Joe Rogan. That's why he's on podcasts, on Clubhouse, on Twitter, whatever. Jeff Bezos. Does not have any social media. Mark Zuckerberg does not have any social media. So I think Elon Musk is taking, you know, advantage of his position in social media to be like, I'm the only cool billionaire guy in tech. Who Alex, can I think, I, shit, I think right? you'll find that Mark Zuckerberg is active on the social media platform called Facebook. Oh, well, yeah, I don't use that one. So that's, that's probably why I don't see him. But like, <laughs> no, same, fun- same, same, same. Yeah. Funnily enough, he's got a Twitter account. He's got like millions of followers. He's never tweeted anything yeah, yeah. else that I'm on Twitter now. Something like this. <laughs> uh, if, if you want to find the Zuckerberg Twitter account, it's twitter.com slash finkd, F-I-N-K-D, yeah. I think. Um, yeah, yeah it's one of the worst Twitter accounts in the world after, of course, our three Twitter accounts. Uh <laughs> No, that's the thing. So what's the, what, what do you think generally of the role uh, of Elon Musk and the influences he's having on shit like Dogecoin right now or however it's pronounced. But is it, like, is he's it, also been inflating his own stock in the past. Yeah, well, Elon Musk has done hilarious things. Like one time he tweeted out that the stock price for Tesla was too high and then it went yeah. down by like 10%. I mean, what a, what a weird kid. Um, I, think it's, <laughs> I think it's Dogecoin, Alex. Yeah, Dogecoin. Doge. Doge. Doge is like, um, it's, I actually thought it was actually the, the real name of the, of the type of dog, but it's a pedigree dog. No, no. Um, it, it was like a meme. Yeah, um, the meme is like dog written incorrectly, right? No, 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 no. That's something else. It's like you can, if you put in a doge dog, it's, it's this Japanese dog. I can't remember the, the original name. I've got a friend who's got one actually. And I thought, beautiful. oh, you've got a doge. And she doesn't really do internet culture. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, it's a doge. And she was like, that's what it's called. And she no, genuinely. But it's a Shiba. It's a Shiba dog. Yeah. It's not called Dodge. Yeah, I thought it was called Dodge. <laughs> anyway, so that became a meme called Dogecoin. And then what happened was someone made the crypto of Dogecoin, Dogecoin. Yeah. I didn't yeah. say it. And the logo is that dog. 
And now Elon Musk a few hours ago tweeted uh, it's going to go up, and it obviously has. So I think that's irresponsible of Elon because who follows him? It's a bunch of kids, right? I mean, it's not sophisticated investors looking for intelligent advice on where to deploy their capital. It's probably folks who are buying Dogecoin in you know increments of $50 or 50 euro, whatever, and uh, they're going to probably lose a lot of it. Like, I, I, I don't know. That, that, I, it's not illegal. He's, he can talk about what he owns. That's fine. But to me, it's not, it's not what I would do if I was influential and wealthy and making individual bets into high speculative assets. Cause it's just, it, it's just, a, it's, it's a, a hype pump. You know, it's, it's silly to me. Correct. And we've seen a lot of this in the crypto space, a lot of this in the stock market space, but not usually from people who are so central to the general business conversation, right? I mean, Elon Musk, uh, is involved in some of the most interesting companies in the world right now, not just Tesla, but SpaceX and, you know, I mean, that's SpaceX is, I, I think, one of the coolest companies in the world, period. It's because I, yeah. I like rockets. I like space. I'm a big sci fi nerd, you know? So I think it's really cool. But, it, you know, again, I, I don't think he should be using his platform to do that. Like smoking a joint on Joe Rogan, I, I don't care at all. That's yeah. fine. But he's investors, maybe. <laughs> that, that's his risk. You know, if he wants to risk there, yeah. I mean, like, if, let's be clear, though. If you were on the fence about Elon Musk and you're like, well, he smoked a joint on Joe Rogan, I'm out. Come on. I mean, yeah, yeah, you, that, yeah. that was the craziest thing he's done. That That's the thing that got you. I don't think he Probably has any not. investors over that. Also, like Probably Elon not. Musk lives in California. Yeah. Where, well, I used to at least where, where weed is legal. So it's fine. I, I, I don't know. The whole the whole like cannabis thing blew my head off. I, I, I yeah. don't get why people care about it. Like what? Like Portugal exists. Drugs are fine. I don't know. Yeah, I want, well, I, I'm, I'm very envious of your position, Alex. Sorry, could you have just just because Alex, you are, you know, while the whole world is distracted by these things, you know, we're trying to do our job and we're following, you know, the stonks, the memes, and Dylan Musk and all that. That's part of your job, so you get to be working and you're concentrated on that. While we, I cannot seem to concentrate on what I'm doing. What I wanted to say is like, do you think this is like a passing phase? Uh, when will this be over, or do you think this is going to become sort of the new normal from now on? Okay, so. I feel like every week for the last like two years, I've said to my said to my wife at the end of it, that was a week. I'm exhausted. And she's like, yeah, you look it. <laughs> and then the next week happens and so much happens. There's just, just tons yeah. of news and activity. And so I, I almost want to say, yeah, this is the new normal. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe things will calm back down. But in the world of startups that I spend a lot of time on, there's so much money and there's so much activity. In the in the stock market world that I also care about, there's so much money and so much activity. Uh You know, it's hard to say that it's going to slow down. I don't know what would slow it down aside from a global recession, but we had one of those last year. It didn't seem to stop much. And we're still in the middle of a pandemic and that's not stopping things. So short of an asteroid or higher interest rates, I don't know what, uh, what really stops things. I, this may be the level of stupid that we should anticipate for some time because I don't think the world's going to get any smarter anytime soon. And uh, there's plenty of bored people with money. So this may just be our reality, I suppose. So I wanted to ask about that sort of the, the exactly like you sort of want to say, is this our reality? You know, um, I don't want to go and talk, go on and talk about PE because I'll explain it badly, but the value of the S&P 500, the, the biggest companies in the US are apparently trading higher and ha at an average higher valuation than historically yeah. uh, that is deemed risk-free or, or less risky. But um, that aside, um, I was interested to know, I mean, a lot of those 500 companies in our tech, basically, 
I mean, Exxon and the likes were there. They just posted a loss of like 22 billion, like ridiculous. Right. Still paid out dividends, obviously. Um, but yeah, but the, I was interested, like, um, when people say to me, and so I say, so investors say, yeah, but there could just be another dot-com boom and bust. And I was wondering, I, I was very young at the time, and I don't know enough about the sort of the history ah. of it. Um, what, why would it be different this time compared to that time? Like, what, what do you think the difference is between tech being yeah. high-valued now and tech being high-valued then? No, it's a great, it's a great question. Uh, Josh, how old are you? 39. Okay. So you're, you're a little bit older than me. So you were more present uh, during the 2000 boom. I missed it almost entirely. I do recall my like elementary school teacher showing me her stock market screen one day and she was like, this is bad. And I'm like, ah, okay. Um, yeah, I remember it quite clearly, actually. Yeah. So, so a couple of things are different this time. Um, the companies that are highly valued are generally speaking great companies. So what we've seen is not the inflation of a asset class or a collection of firms from no value to lots of value. We're seeing companies that have real worth be overpriced. And so the risk built into the system right now is just lower than it was back then. If you think about famous internet flops, and I have a very US perspective on this uh, topic, so I don't have a lot of examples of European companies in the dot-com boom, but in America, Pets.com, Cosmo, these are the kind of famous flops were for companies that had very limited revenues, incredibly high expenses, and just the hope and dream of future scale. Today, we all can sit around and go, guys, you know, Zoom is trading at 60x ARR or whatever, and that seems high. Why is Snowflake worth so much? You know, maybe Adyen is overvalued. You know, maybe when TransferWise goes public, it'll be expensive. But Adyen and TransferWise and these other companies are great businesses, right? And so if the price goes up too high and comes down, it'll come down by 20%, 30%, not right. 98%, 99%. Um, and the difference between the two the three recessions we've seen, kind of 2000, 2008, and then you know last year during the early COVID time, is that tech went from being uh, ancillary to medium level important to mission critical. And so right. when everyone stopped paying their bills and stopped started laying off their staff, they didn't stop paying for their software because that's how their companies run. And so tech found itself amazingly doing fine. As the pandemic got worse, the economy collapsed, people lost their jobs, the economy shut down because software, which is most of kind of what tech is, uh, was just so, you know, required to run the company that it always gets paid. You know, you can't not have payment tech if you're a retailer, but you can have less staff. So you pay your, you know, your payments provider and you fire some of your staff. It, so the, only, more, um, the only European one I remember, the famous from UK, was a company called Boo.com. It's a fascinating story. Um, and and the, the the sort of myth around it, and I, I haven't looked in, into it too much. I read a book about it years ago. It's a mad story. But essentially, they built an e-commerce platform. And apparently, it was all built on Flash, right? Everyone knows sort of Flash Jesus back in the day. Christ, yeah. Everyone had dial-up <laughs> dial computers, right? So dial-up made them 21 years ago. Yeah. So you couldn't even run the website properly. And it looked great and whatever. And they had loads of TV adverts. But then literally, you could not work the website. So that was the big one from, from, from the UK perspective. That's, a, I that's amazing. That this to me is like how startup developers are like, well, it runs fine on my computer. I'm like, yes, but you have a brand yeah. new MacBook Pro that has 84 gigabytes of RAM. I ran this on my, on my Chromebook that I use on my couch because I, I, I have a cheap Chromebook. So if I spill on it, I don't care. It's my couch laptop, I call it. Uh, and like the internet sucks on that thing because it's just not very powerful. And so you can tell that people who built this stuff are using you know, fiber connections and, you know, external monitors and shit. And I'm on this cheap little Chromebook. And I'm like, y'all need to 
do the internet on a bad machine for a week and suffer and then learn. Yeah, or on a brutal, you know, environments in which you're just, you know, you don't have a computer, you might have a cell phone only running on 2.5G or whatever that is. Oh. So it's not going to load there. Like 2.5G yeah. is cursed. That, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's the dial-up of the mobile world. I mean, that stuff is slow. But what's cool is uh, so many people are getting online for the first time with mobile devices, with lackluster yeah. internet connections. And in five or 10 years, if we get better satellite internet, we're going to have many more people better connected with better, cheaper hardware. And that's going to unlock, I hope, a lot of economic growth, access to information, and a lot of other great stuff around the world. Um, there's going to be problems with it, as we've seen with the information economy. But in general, I'm very excited about rising levels of internet penetration uh, around the world and the possibility for micro-entrepreneurship, credit, better fintech systems. I mean, just, there's so much we can do good around the world with tech. And I, I'm, I'm an optimist about that. All right. I think we can we can wrap it up here, but there's one last question we ask to every single person we have on this podcast. And it is to share a fuck up. What's the biggest fuck up you've ever done? And if you can quantify it in money, because if we want to sort of democratize fuck ups for everybody. Um, Should be related we, to your field and you need to be accountable for it. I'm happy to, happy to do that for sure. But can we talk about heavy metal for like one minute? Yes. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Because I, I feel like I feel like the three of us like 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 my number of heavy metal friends are 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 like two. It's you, it's you guys. <laughs> like no one in my life likes heavy metal. I just I just I just want to do a couple of shout outs. Um Silosis uh is, yes. is killing it these days. I think we've all been listening to them. Um the last Allegion, album is amazing. Yeah. So good. Uh, a Legion, which is like A-L-L-E-A-G-E-O-N. Um, amazing. Really enjoying them. I've gone back to the Trivium discography, been just loving that. And there was one of the band I wanted to shout out. Oh, who was it? Um, their, their last record was called Where the Owl Knows My Name. Uh, maybe, it might be Void of Maya. Anyways, uh, amazing um, technical death metal. I think it's, we live in a great time of, of, of heavy music. There's a lot of great stuff coming out. I'm pretty excited about it. Um, and th I, I wanted to thank you also because it's sort of you got me into Trivium. That's a band that I never liked in the beginning, but I listened to the interview on the Machine Head podcast, which is, by the way, my favorite podcast ever. So shout out to Rob Flynn. He's an amazing podcast host. He interviewed the guy from Trivium. I was like, wow, this guy seems smart. I'm going to give them a try. And then like music they do nowadays is completely like different from the, I mean, it's kind of like metal core, show off <gasps> metal core they used to do at the beginning. Yeah, sorry, you didn't want to hear I'm that. Scandalized. Like, I'm scandalized. <laughs> Ascendancy is an amazing, important heavy metal record. Now, Trivium did do some experimentations with sound that were less yeah. popular, and that's fine. But if you yeah. want to get into them and you're listening to this, uh, The Sin and The Sentence, and then yeah. their most recent album, um, What Where the Dead the, Men them, Say. What the Dead Men Say is like an amazing album. My, my so favorite good. album from last year. So uh, I... When I got my Spotify end of the year like roundup thing, uh, it, yeah. infor it informed me that I was in the top 0.05% of Trivium listeners. And I was like, that's just embarrassing. That's when are you going to interview them? Um, <laughs> I mean, it's I, I accessible, it. like, like it's yeah, no, accessible. I, I, uh, I, I know Paolo a little bit, the, the bass player, we're okay. big Twitter friends. He's, uh, he's hilarious and uh, just a really great guy. Um, I wanted to do a story on how bands are surviving during the pandemic and Trivium still a lot yeah. of really cool live streaming and so forth, but I'm a little bit late to it and uh, mm. really it would just be an excuse for me to call up artists that I like. And so I, I didn't do it. Uh, maybe um, I should have. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm fairly sure you could reach out to Matt on Twitter. I mean, he follows me on Twitter, actually, because uh, yeah, that's great. something about it. Yeah, um, no, I we record actually, funnily enough, uh, you know, this podcast about tech and development and all this yeah. stuff. But we have one really good episode we recorded a couple of months ago with one brutal death metal singer, the guy, the, the frontman from Benighted, a French really? metal band. And it's freaking fantastic. We talk about pandemic. We talk about business models for bands. We talk about like the partners agreement. We talk about future of tech in the, uh, into the music industry. So if you want to listen to that one, it's one of my favorite podcasts. And the guy is amazing. And at the end of the episode, he shows his five uh, methods of uh, his five different kinds of growling and screaming. So and this is with uh, Julian Chuchan, right? Yeah, correct. Uh, it's okay, I just, really, it's really. I just fun. found the episode. I'm going to listen to this later today. That is exciting because I love business models. I'm really interested in the future of like uh, music in the digital age. Okay, now yeah. I promise to fuck up. I can do this. Um, yeah, I don't know. If this is going to be dead on. So you guys can tell me if I need to give you another one, and I can do that if I need to. Um, for me, my fuck up was not dealing with my alcohol addiction earlier and how that kind of hit my career. So. Oh, wow. Uh, I went to rehab in 2016, uh, haven't drank since, thank God. So coming up on five years without it. Uh, but I drank a lot for a long time and, uh, you know, I would have had, I would have so much money if I had not spent it all on whiskey. And if I had put that into the stock market, as we were talking about earlier, into some index funds, I would have yeah. a jillion dollars. Because back then the stocks were so cheap and I spent so much money for so many years on, on drinking. Um, but it, it hit my career a lot because I, I quit TechCrunch originally because I thought I was tired of it. I thought I was over my job. I wanted something new. It turns out I was just six months away from going to rehab at the time and didn't know it. And I was just wow. miserable in, in life as opposed to my job. I just thought it was my job. So if I could go back in time and unfuck up something, I would quit drinking way earlier. I would I would not get fat. I would not get disgusting and go through... Uh, some weird medical shit. I would not go to the ER. I would not go through medical detox. I would, I would avoid all wow. that. And uh, everything's fine in my life. You know, I, I quit drinking, got married, happy, back at TC. Everything's cool. But um, my career could have had a more direct path and uh, I could have had a lot more money and I could have had a lot less pain. You know, addiction mm. sucks. It, it'll fuck you up entirely. And um, I, I don't talk about it as much as I used to because it's now kind of retreating into the past of my life. It's no longer quite as, as fresh and um, sure. upfront, but when I think about like 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 fuck ups, getting physically addicted to alcohol, and then staying in that box for as long as I did, that was yeah. Don't do that if you can't avoid it. Get some help. Get the fuck out of it. Life's better on the other side. And you get to eat a lot of ice cream to replace all the booze. So I eat a lot of ice cream now, and that uh, keeps me sane. So and you can, you can move your addiction to metal, which is you know healthier. You know what? Between caffeine and nicotine, I'm doing great. You know, I got, uh, I, I find other things that don't kill me to invest my time and money into. Um, yeah. Does, is that, does that count as a fuck up? Does that fit the, the rubric of the question? It's, uh, we've never had one like that. So uh, thank you for opening up. I actually wanted to share that related to that. I've got, that's why I started investing. Like I fucked up big time with something and I shared this in other podcasts as well, but I did a big fuck up of a thousand euros. I said, you know what? I wanted to start investing in start every time I fuck up because of alcohol. Mostly I'm going to start investing the same amount of money into companies. <laughs> and that's how I started. And it was that's, a thousand euros amazing. the first time. 2000 the second time. So, you know, sometimes I lose like a bit money because, because of alcohol. So, you know, um, you know, uh, I don't know. We've never had this kind of, this kind of fuck ups before, but thank you for opening. It must yeah. have been like a transformational experience. And I think that's something that we need to talk 
uh, talk about more openly. So I think it's especially to, to because we lost here. Alexi Leho. Uh, this yeah, year. at the beginning of the year. Shout yeah, out Children think, of Bodom. Uh, shout out Alexi, uh, Wild Child. I mean, I, I've I've been a Children of Bodom fan forever. You know, one of the yeah, first bands that that really taught me how, how to riff. I, I, you know, I play guitar occasionally, and I would try to play Bodom songs. And Alexi was a famous alcoholic. You know, and he yeah. um, he died, and that's a complete yeah. catastrophe. Complete because loss. we could have had so much more from him. What an amazing special too human young. that we that we lost. Way too young. I mean, he's forty one, so we didn't lose him at twenty seven. Thank God. But I mean. We, I, yeah. I would have rather lose them at 81. Yeah. So, Gentlemen, I think we can wrap it up here. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for your experiences and your uh, your knowledge in stonks, memes, and what's going on in the world. And let's continue rocking on. Thank you. Absolutely. See you in the next All episode. Right. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. And uh, from America, I'm going to go have breakfast. Hugs. We are Mars-based, an all-remote consultancy from Barcelona, specializing in web and mobile development. We help all kinds of companies, from startups to big corporations, to conceptualize, design, and develop solutions for their business using technology. And now, how can we help you?